welcome to our People's Church at Home service. I'm glad that you are able to connect with us today. My name is Eugene Maswangani and I'm your host. Firstly, I greet you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to everyone watching. Our offering message will be given by Mr. John Muhudi. To follow, we'll then go straight into today's preaching done by Pastor Monli Tele. Today, I'd like to remind us of the grace that we receive through Christ. Grace through Christ is Christ paying for our sins on the cross. Free as it was, the sacrifice did not come cheap for our Lord. It cost him his life. Romans chapter 5 verse 15 reads as follows. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Let us take into consideration the description of a believer. This is someone who has found and received salvation through Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ takes my life with all the bad things and all that God will put in me is Christ. Whilst in Christ, our imperfections are not seen. It is only a reflection of Christ which is now visible in us. Heaven is possible only through Christ's ticket. And God only sees the perfection of Christ and not our imperfections. Therefore, let us open our lives to Jesus and accept our free gift of salvation. In turn, we can no longer see our own faults and the things we were once ashamed of. God bless you all and may enjoy the service. Good morning, church. It is wonderful to be ready and to be expectant. Expectant of what God wants to impart in our hearts. Today's offering message is more like a call to action. 1 Peter 4 verse 7 to 10, we read the following. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We are told, church, that the end is near. We should be alert and pray. We are also told to offer hospitality to each other without mumbling or grumbling. Lastly, which is what I want us to focus on this morning, is that we should use whatever gifts God has put in us to serve others. This will show that we are faithful stewards or guardians of those gifts that God has gracefully blessed us with. Over and above financial giving, which is important because it shows God's grace over our lives, grace that allows us to earn an income, we all have other gifts that God has blessed us with. Gifts we can use to serve one another. Specific to our church context, there are several gifts required that we should 
all be aware of. I would like to sensitize us to these areas where our gifts and talents can be used. You need to look at which area your gifts and talents can best plug into so that we can serve and bless the house of God. The six main areas are check-in, stage manager, worship team, be it media and vocals, ushering, offering message, and anchoring. Just so that we are clear, let me briefly explain what each area entails so that you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Check-in. Check-in is merely where people get their temperatures taken, then you sanitize them, then you tick them off on the computer. You need to be at church about 20 minutes before the Sunday service starts. That's it. You can go see Mamurutu Kolu if you're interested. The second one is stage manager. Stage manager is the person who sanitizes the mics between speakers during the service and ensures that each speaker has whatever they need. Worship team. It doesn't only entail singing, but it also entails media and other technical stuff in the background. If you're musically blessed, Dr. Makwarela is eagerly waiting to welcome you and to orientate you. If you don't know who he is, Mamurutu will connect you with him. Ushering. This is merely just helping our family members to find their seats and our visitors to find their way around our premises. The last two are offering message and anchoring. Some of you have beautiful testimonies and words of encouragement from God. Time to be shy is over. The word of God says, use whatever gift you have received to serve one another. Go see Mamuruti. She's waiting to sign you up. If you're watching this on Church Center, there's a link called Get Involved. Also, on YouTube, the, the same link, Get Involved, is there. You can simply click on the link and see how you can best get involved. Otherwise, come see Mamuruti. She will sign you up. You see, any of these areas we can all plug in to bring glory to God. I again encourage us to be good stewards of the grace-given gifts God has, in, has entrusted us with. In closing, Ephesians 2 verse 10 says to us, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is indeed a great privilege, church, to plug in to do good works, which God has already prepared for us to do in advance. Let's plug in. Let's get involved. Thank you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you very much for this word this morning. We thank you very much that you have blessed us with talents. You have given us gifts. Now we get to use those gifts in your house to bring glory and honor to you, Lord. We get to use our gifts to serve others. And what a privilege this is because this has been modeled to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you very much, Lord, that yes, we can plug in. Yes, there's an opportunity for us to plug in. And we will plug in. We thank you very much. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hi, church. We hope you are all doing well. I'd like to personally invite you to our next in-person Sunday or Wednesday church gatherings. We understand that safety is a priority for most people right now. 
And I can assure you that we are taking all the necessary precautions to make sure that you and your family will be safe before, during, and after the church gathering. So here are some of the things that you can expect at any of our in-person church gatherings. Upon arrival, you'll be greeted by our fantastic check-in managers who will scan your temperature and make sure that you have filled in the COVID-19 declaration form. To ensure a smooth and contactless check-in experience, we ask that you uh, pre-book your seat online and also fill in the COVID-19 declaration form prior to your arrival at church. If you are also signing up for other members of your family, make sure that you have filled in the COVID-19 declaration form for each member of your family. As you enter the auditorium, uh, one of our ushers is going to help you to find your seat. Now, our seats have been spaced out to allow for a safe physical distance between you and those that are around you. But you also have the option of sitting next to your family members and your loved ones. We ask that you kindly keep your face mask on, covering both your nose and your mouth throughout the time that you will be on the church premises. Because your safety and the safety of those that are around you is one of our top priorities. And lastly, as awesome as Church at Home has been, we know and we can assure you that it cannot compare to an in-person church gathering. So I cannot wait to see you on our next church gathering. Take care and God bless you. Very good morning to you or good day or good evening depending on when you are watching this. Um, as always, it is such an honor and a privilege to be able to bring God's word. And before I get to that, you know, we trust and hope that you are doing well, that you are safe, and that you are healthy wherever you are. And today, I'm going to be preaching from a very well-known pas passage of scripture found in the book of Judges. Uh, basically looking at chapter 16 from verse 15 to verse 22. And so this is a very well-known account of Samson and Delilah. And it was very interesting, you know, preparing for this. And you realize just how complicated this book is theologically. There's a lot of things that are very difficult to interpret. But we hope and we trust that the Holy Spirit is going to help us to be able to learn what he wants us to learn today. And so maybe before I get into reading of the scripture, let's just pray and prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you so much for the gift of life. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who watches over us, who protects us, Lord God, from all danger and from all harm. And now as we are about to go into your word, Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to uh, sit under the teaching of your word. We pray that you open our minds, open our hearts to be able to learn and to receive what you want us to receive today. And we pray that you help us by the Holy Spirit to apply what we learn in our hearts and in our lives, so that our lives may be better, they may be transformed to be more like the lives that you want them to be. We pray for all this in Jesus Christ's mighty name, so that your name may be glorified now and forevermore. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So, Judges chapter 16 from verse 15. This is what it says. It says, And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day, and urged him, and his soul was vexed 
to the point of death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her uh, all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then uh, she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And so we are basically picking it up from towards the end of the life of Samson. Uh, the, the account of his life starts from Judges chapter 13, and it runs for four chapters up until chapter 16. I would encourage you to go and read it. It is a very fascinating and a very uh, enlightening uh, uh, account, you know, in terms of lessons that we can learn and apply in our lives. And before I go any further, let's just unpack, you know, and look a little bit at the context of this book. So the book is the book of Judges, and it is part of a collection of uh, writings that are in the New Testament or books in the New Testament that are known as the historical books. So they are mostly interested at telling uh, the listener or the, the reader about the history that is what the book, uh, the category that the book uh, belongs to. And it takes place between the time right after God has helped the nation of Israel to inherit the promised land, which is the land of Canaan. So right after they have entered uh, the promised land, Joshua and all the, the older leaders, they, 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 they die, you know, they pass away. And then this book takes place uh, right after that and before the first king of Israel. So it's right between those two periods of time, right after the children of Israel had inherited the, the promised land and before they had kings and their first king was Samuel, I mean was, was Saul, sorry. And so that's the time frame that this book takes place in. And the book covers seven periods where the nation of Israel turned away from God, were oppressed by another nation, and God raised someone to deliver them out of the hand of the oppressor. And so there's a pattern that's repeated over and over again in the book of Judges. And that is the pattern that begins with sin, and then oppression, and then supplication, and, and they cry out to God. And then there's deliverance. And there's peace. And the cycle keeps on repeating itself about seven times in just the book of Judges alone. And it begins with some sort of sin, which leads to oppression by another nation as God's judgment upon the nation of Israel. Then this leads to the nation of Israel crying out to God because of the oppression. Then God would raise up a deliverer, or a judge in this case, to deliver the nation of Israel. And the final step in the cycle is a period of rest during the lifetime of the judge. But as soon as the judge passes away, the cycle begins all over again as the nation falls into sin again. And so Samson is the last of the judges. He's right at the end, the last of the judges. And we're told that he is a Nazarite to God from birth. But we're going to get more into that 
in a moment. And on paper, when you look at his life, he had everything going for him. I don't think there was a person on paper who had a better start to life than him. You know, So we are told that his birth was prophesied by an angel. And his birth was supernatural because his mother was barren. And God opened his mother's womb supernaturally. And he you know, had supernatural strength that was given to him by God, was filled with the Holy Spirit, set apart to God from conception, not even from birth, but from conception. And he had a clear calling and, and mandate of God upon his life. And let's just read the account where the angel speaks to his mother concerning the birth of Samuel. So this comes uh, from Judges chapter 13. Verse 3 to 5. And it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. This right here, you know, is amazing. This is the, the angel of the Lord appearing to Samson's mother and just uh, letting her know about the son that she's going to give birth to and even the mandate that is upon his life that he is going to begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And so Samson was raised by God to begin to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And this is the purpose for which he was born. And then when it comes to the Nazarite vow, it was a very uh, specific or special vow that a person could take, whether it's a man or a woman, they could take to separate him or herself to God for a period of time. They wanted to separate themselves, you know, to God um, for a specific task that they want to do for God, they could take this vow. And there were a number of very strict requirements that had to be fulfilled during the time of the vow. And they included not taking any alcoholic or strong drink not eating anything made from grapes or even their seeds and not touching anything that is dead. And in fact, so there is the whole list is found in the book of Numbers chapter 6, the first 21 verses. And I'm just going to read from verse 6 to 8 of Numbers chapter 6 to just as, uh, help us to understand the, the seriousness of this vow. And it says, all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his mother or for his brother, for, for his, ma sorry, not even for his father or for his mother, for brother or sister, if they die, shall he make himself unclean because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. And so this Nazarite thing was quite serious. You know, later in that chapter, it even says if a person dies close to the Nazarite immediately or suddenly dies, uh, you know, unexpectedly dies close to a Nazarite, that in itself will defile the Nazarite to the point that the entire period that they had separated themselves is now null and void. And they had to go and cleanse themselves, sacrifice, you know, a sacrifice for, for sin and guilt and cleanse themselves and then begin the whole process process again. And so this was a very serious indeed um, vow that a person could take. And we are told that Samson was a Nazarite from conception and was set apart to God for the rest of his life. So he had to obey all of these requirements. But the thing that about Samson is that as good as he was on paper, 
he did not finish his race well at all. You know, this is not someone that we can look up to for an example to emulate. And I'm reminded of the story of, of, the, of Solomon, the king of Israel as well, who was very good on paper, but he also did not finish well. So this is not the kind of sermon we are looking upon his life because it's an inspirational example that we want to follow. Rather, what we are going to do is to try and learn lessons from his life that we can apply in our lives so that we may not end up where he ended or that we may not, you know, live the way that he lived. And the title of my message this morning is Down But Not Out. Down But Not Out. And so, Back to our text from Judges chapter 16, from verse 15. And so at this point, Samson had killed many Philistines. And tensions between him and the Philistines were sky high. You know, when they realized that he had feelings for Delilah, who was one of their daughters, when they realized that they saw this as an opportunity for them to capture him. And basically what they did, they approached her with a large sum of money, saying, if you can find out what the source of his strength is and let us know about it so that we can capture him, we are going to give you this large sum of money. And so the fact of the matter is their plan actually worked because Delilah was able to deceive Samson and betray him to the lords of the Philistines and he was captured, you know, by the Philistines uh, because he, he had told her what the source of his strength is. And so, as I mentioned, what we're going to do is just to look at his life and see what we can uh, learn, you know, and apply in our lives. And the first thing that I think we'll be able to see from Samson's life is that if you look from chapter 13 to chapter 16, there is a complacence about him. You know, there's a complacence about his, 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 his attitude uh, towards life and towards things of morality and even towards God's law. And so there was complacence which led him to sin. And in chapter 14, which is just two chapters before the chapter we're focusing on, he had killed a young lion, you know, with his bare hands, something that is impressive, you know, uh, definitely. So he killed a young lion uh, using his bare hands, and he tore the lion apart. And then a few days, or, or maybe a few weeks, we are not told the period uh, that lapsed after that, but later after that, he found himself passing next to the place where the carcass of the lion is. And we are told that he turned aside. So this is now Judges chapter 14 verse 8 to 9. This is what it says. It says, and then later, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and his mother and gave some to them and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. Very interesting as well. We are told in the scriptures that even when he tore the lion apart, that he hid that information from his parents. And I'm thinking, it's not as if he did not know better. I think he knew better. Because I would, I would think that from a very young age, Samson's mother would have taught him what the angel had said to her concerning him. Because he was not just an ordinary child. He was a special child, you know, that was brought up 
by God for a very specific purpose. So I would believe that from the very early age that his mother taught him everything he needed to know, that she would have even made him memorize, you know, and the Numbers chapter 6, the passage from Numbers chapter 6 concerning the Nazarite vow. He would have known it from his heart. So he knew exactly what was expected of him as a Nazarite. But for some reason, he chose to simply ignore all of that. And he even went the, 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 the extra step of hiding these things from his parents, which to me, you know, it just tells me that this is a person who knew, but he couldn't really care less. He couldn't be bothered to live that way. And so the question is, why? Why would he do these kind of things? And maybe that's something that you're going to be able to unpack today. But I think it, 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 it hints at the kind of lifestyle that he lived, that he had this complacence about him, that he was relaxed. You know, he had a very relaxed demeanor when it comes to even God's law and even, you know, the Nazarite vow that he was supposed to keep. And he definitely defiled it. And so this is one of the things that I think, you know, when I'm just thinking and trying to interpret this passage of scripture, I think that he got addicted to the fact that he is special. You know, I mean, who wouldn't be, who wouldn't be addicted to the fact that you have supernatural strength? There is no one on the entire planet who can lay a finger on you, you know, because of your supernatural strength. But I think that began to get into his head and unbeknownst to him, over time, he began to depend on his own strength and stopped depending upon God. For he thought he had it all figured out. You know, there's nothing that he can do. Yeah, he is the man and even everyone else knows it as well. And so this got me thinking about you and I, you know, that there was a time when you knew that you were nothing without God. There was a time that you knew that without God, there was nothing really too special about you. There was a time where you and I dependent upon, depended upon God for everything. But slowly over time, that sense of inadequacy was replaced by a sense of self-sufficiency. You know, you also began to be confident in yourself. I began to be confident in myself and my own ability to figure things out. And we started praying less and less while we strategized more and more. And the problem really isn't with the planning and the strategizing, but the problem is in the fact that we began to depend on God less and less. And so we also see this attitude uh, about Samson in verse 20 of Judges chapter 16. So basically Delilah had betrayed him to his enemies, which, which are the lords of the Philistines, for a sum of of money and his head is shaved you know for the first time in his life which would have rendered the, his Nazarite vow null and void and the presence and the power of God leaves him and so verse 20 this is what it says and she said to him the Philistines are upon you Samson and he awoke from his sleep and said I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. You know, he had stopped depending, uh, depending upon God, but had completely depended upon himself and his supernatural strength and his ability to whistle his way out of tough situations. I can even imagine the first time that he found himself in trouble that he did not know how to get himself out of. That that first time, you know, the first thing that would have crossed his mind is God needs to perform a miracle for me to be able to make my way out of this alive. If God does not show up, I am dead. And yet today in verse, in verse 20 of chapter 16, the first thing that crosses his mind is this. 
I will go out as I have always done all my life, as all the other times I have done, and I will shake myself free. Can you identify a bit of complacency within your own life and within your own uh, attitude and within your own heart as you walk with the Lord? And I believe that this is the first step, you know, that brought about his downfall. And this is a very dangerous place for you and I to find ourselves in where we are complacent and, and you know, relaxed and laid back about, about God's commandments, about God's word, about what God expects from us. And if you read Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, we get a completely different attitude because God instructs Joshua here, who was the one who was going to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. And in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, it says, so this is God speaking to Joshua. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Let me repeat that so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And I wonder if one had asked Samson at this point in his life, when was the last time he even opened the scriptures? When was the last time he read the scriptures by himself? What would he have said? I guess he would have said, I can't even remember, you know, because he became complacent around the word of God. He became complacent around the relationship and the purpose upon his life, relationship that he has with God. There was a preacher who was known by the name of Leonard Ravenhill, and this is one of the things that he always said. He said, the first place that a person begins to backslide is always in the place of prayer. And I believe that the second place is in the place of, of Bible reading, of that discipline in our private time of reading the scriptures. And I don't know, you know, if, if Gideon was keeping up with his Bible reading, was filling himself, his head, his head and his heart with the scriptures and with the word of God. So let me just ask you as well, how is your prayer life and your Bible reading right now? Do you have the same sense of, de of de desperation every time you pray that you used to have when you were still a young Christian? Do I still have that same sense of hunger and desperation every time I come before God in his presence as I pray? And you and I may say, I am no longer a younger Christian, but this is the, th the reality of the matter, that your hunger and desperation for God is supposed to increase with the years and not diminish. It is never supposed to go down. You, there's no amount of knowledge that can ever replace or substitute that hunger that can ever feel that desperation for God to move in our lives. So it is supposed to always be increasing and, and must never diminish. And so when was the last time you prayed with your family? Maybe around dinner time, maybe at night or in the morning or whenever you used to do it. But when was the last time you actually did it? When was the last time you came here, you know, to church and prayed with other believers as you used to do? You know, when was the last time that, uh, that you cracked open your Bible by yourself? Not because you were at church and not because you were in a desperate situation, you know, opposition from work, whatever the case is. But when was the last time you actually opened the Bible because 
because he wanted to know more about God, because he wanted to, to, to invest into the relationship that God has with you. If you cannot identify, you know, if you cannot even remember the last time you've done these things, I would, uh, you know, I would submit to you that you are in a dangerous place. This is not a good place for you to be in. So it is not too late. You can still turn around. You can still go back to the things that you used to do at first. Look at me um, in verse chapter. I mean, verse 16. This is still chapter 16, Judges 16, verse 16. This is what it says. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And you can preach another sermon on this verse alone, honestly. But it's very interesting. One of the things that I thought about, that isn't this exactly how temptation operates? That it never lets you go. That it never gives up. That it always pesters you until you cannot even eat without thinking about it. You'd be there, you know, lying on your bed trying to sleep. And the only thing that is on your mind is this temptation. You can't concentrate at work because as much as you, as you try not to think about it, that's the only thing that you find yourself thinking about it. It will pester you until you are vexed to death. Until you cannot do anything but to give in to the temptation. And this is the thing that I realized, that negotiating with temptation is fighting a losing battle. Sooner or later, you will lose. Sooner or later, I will lose if I try to negotiate, you know, with temptation in my life. And the best thing for Samson, the best thing that Samson could have done was not to have put himself in that kind of situation to begin with. That's the best thing that he could have done. He had no business being in that relationship. He had no business being, you know, in that situation. That was the best thing. But the second best thing that he could have done was for him to get out of it and to get out right now. You know, it was still not too late. He could have still gotten out while, the, while Delilah was pestering him, while Delilah was trying to trick him. But the fact of the matter is that he didn't. I think he thought he could take it. He is the man. He's the strongest in the whole world. Strongest, you know, and everyone knows it. And you may also be thinking that you right now can take it. But I can tell you right now, it will weigh you down. So what must you do? What must I do? We need to run. We need to take a lesson from Jacob. We need to run from temptation. First Corinthians Paul writes this concerning temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. And so the best way to resist temptation is to flee from it, not to negotiate with it. That's the best way, is to run away from it, is to remove our ourselves from that particular situation. And that is why God provides for us a way of escape and not a way of reasoning with temptation. And so for some of you, I would imagine that this is exactly what you came to hear today. Right now, you know exactly what is the right thing for you to do in your particular situation. And all you need to do is to do it. And my prayer for you is that indeed you do 
the right thing that you know to do. Second thing about uh, Samson in his, in his story and in his life that you can learn are the consequences of sin. So he gave in to sin and there are consequences. And, and Samson in his life, in this account, he paid a very high price for his lifestyle. And we're told that the Philistines took hold of him, gorged out both of his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, put him in prison, and he spent his days gr uh, grinding grain in the mill, which was a very uh, difficult task to do, which was basically set apart only for cows and for slaves. And yet he finds himself in that situation where this is the, the, the reality of his situation, the reality of his life right now. And it reminds me of Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Paul says this, for the wages of sin is death, for the wages of sin is death. And so basically sin always over promises and never delivers. If you, are, if you are flirting with sin, it will always produce death in the end in your life. And you might not be seeing any of that. Everything right now may seem nice and fun to you. But the fact of the matter is that it will end in your destruction. As the young people say, it will end in tears. The final destination of the trip called sin is destruction. It will never lead you to where you want to end up. So sure, that's what it is promising you right now. But the reality of the, of the situation is that it will end in your complete destruction and the complete destruction of your life, which is similar to Samson who now finds himself in a Philistinian prison and he's spending his days grinding grain in the mill, you know, something that was only relegated to, to cows and, and slaves, but this is what he's doing. The Philistines have gouged out his eyes. He's blind. The woman is gone. All the fame is gone. All the friends are, are gone. They are nowhere to be found. And his sinful lifestyle has finally caught up with him. And if you also continue down the path of complacency, which gives birth to sin, you will find yourself eventually in a situation that is right, that is like this. But uh, Samson's story does not end here. That is what I love about this story, is that it does not end here. In verse 22, the last verse in our passage, it says, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And this get me, gets me excited because you see, Satan wants you to believe that just because you are down, that you are out, that it's over and done with you, that nothing good will ever come out of your life. But listen to me and listen to me well. Do not count yourself out. Do not sell yourself short. Yes, you are down at the moment. Yes, your sin got exposed. Yes, you got found out. Yes, you made a mistake. And yes, the business went under. The, the deal fell through and the marriage ended in divorce. But you are not out just yet. As long as you have, still have breath in your life, lungs. You still have another chance. And so stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop with the pity party. Get to work on yourself. Change what needs to be changed. Learn the lesson that needed to be learned. Go back to the drawing board and rework your strategy. Rework your plan. But whatever you do, do not never throw in the towel. You and I need to get back up and continue the fight. Because as long as we still have breath in our lungs, there is still an opportunity. Just like Samson's hair began to grow again after it had been cut. Your influence will return again. Your voice will return again. Opportunities will once again come towards you. Doors will once again open to you and your hair will also begin to grow again. Your strength will return.
10. And this is what I want you to know, that God still has a plan for you and for your life. Even, even though you may find yourself in a dark situation, a dark place right now, that God can still use you mightily in your life. Do not throw in the towel. Do not give up. God's call over your life has not been reversed. But I also want us to realize that there are certain things that you and I need to do. And the first one is to humble ourselves in the he- and, and, and return to God and place our hand in, the, in the, our, our lives in the hands of God. You know, I was thinking that when Jonah went the opposite direction from where God was calling him to go, God did not write Jonah off. God did not say, I'm done with you. But God got to work and orchestrated events and situations that brought Jonah back right into God's purposes for his life. And so what has happened has happened. We cannot change that. But perhaps God was using that situation to call back your attention. And so this is what I want you to realize, that your attitude right now will determine whether God will be able to use you again or not. And so you have an opportunity. You can choose to throw in the towel. You can choose to give up. Or you can choose to humble yourself and go back to God, ask for forgiveness, and he will restore you. He will use you again. And we are told that in that final scene in Samson's life, that he killed more Philistines than he had done his entire life. And so you and I also need to realize that Samson was a killing machine. Samson was raised up for this very task, that God had raised him up expressly for, for the purposes of liberating Israel from the hand of the Philistines that he was raised to kill. So what does that mean? So what that means is that what this verse is basically saying is that God was able to still use Samson to fulfill God's purposes over Samson's life. Despite everything that had happened, when Samson returned back to God, God was still able to use him to fulfill his purposes for his life. In fact, God was able to do more in those last moments of Samson's life than what Samson was able to do in his entire life. This is what God is able to do with your life. If you you humble yourself, if you turn back to God, if you surrender your life back to Him, And so what about you? What has God raised you up to do? What is the calling and the purpose that is upon your life? Perhaps it's to preach the gospel to thousands or it's to lead businesses that will touch the lives of thousands of people. Whatever it is, God is able to still use you beyond your wildest imaginations. And so place your life in God's hand. In in one of the last verses, Judges chapter 16, verse 28, this is what it is said about Samson. It says, while he was there in that prison, in that dark place, then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh Lord God, please remember me and strengthen me only this once. Oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. This is what I want you to realize is that you yourself right now can also call upon the Lord right there in your situation, right there in that dark place that you find yourself in. You can call upon God and Romans 10, 13 uh, assures us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call upon God in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 God is speaking and he says though your sins are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they are like they are red like crimson they shall become like wool this is what God wants to do in your life if you if you humble yourself if you turn back to him if you surrender your life to him Psalm chapter 103 verse 11 to 12 the psalmist says this for as high as the heavens are above the earth so 
great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us, our transgressions from us. This is what God wants to do in your life. And listen, when Jesus died upon the cross, he was not dying for his own sins because he did not have any. He was dying for your sins and he was dying for my sins so that whoever turns to him and calls upon his name and believes in him may be saved. This is the good news that one has already died on your behalf. One has already taken your place and died for your sins so that you do not need to carry your sins and the shame and the guilt and the condemnation any longer. You can simply turn to God, say yes to Jesus and surrender your life to him and he will forgive you of your sins and make you completely new. You know, lastly, before, I, before we respond, you know, the power that I see in Samson's story is not so much in his supernatural birth or his supernatural strength or how the Holy Spirit used him. But I think the power in his story is in just how relatable he is to us. Samson made so many mistakes. He broke so many laws. He killed so many people. He hid things from his parents multiple times. And yet there was grace enough for him. And if there was grace enough for him, I can assure you that there is grace enough for you and for me. God can completely rewrite your story. And if you are here, you have never placed your life in the, in the hands of God. You've never surrendered your life and you've never accepted Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You can pray. You can call up to God right there where you are. Ask him to forgive your sins. Ask him to save you. Ask him to make you new. Ask him to completely rewrite your story. And if you have placed your life, your faith in Jesus Christ in the past, but you have backslidden, you have went back to the things that you used to do, you are not on fire for God anymore. When you look at your life right now, you can see some of what uh, is in Samson's life. What I want you to do is to rededicate your life. It is never too late. As long as you are alive, there is still an opportunity. As long as there's still breath in your lungs, you can still call upon, up, upon God. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to take you back again. Ask him to, to do his, his work in you, to make you new, to completely rewrite your story. It is never too late and I hope and I trust that you will take this opportunity, that you will not let this opportunity pass by. You will not delay it or defer it because who knows what's going to happen in the future. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord God Almighty, for everything that you have done for us through the person and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you, Father, that Jesus took our place on the cross so that we may not continue to carry our sins, to carry our shame, to carry the guilt and the condemnation. Help us, Father God, each and every person who needs to turn to you for the first time. Help them, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit to be able to place their faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, to accept Jesus into their, law, into their lives as the Lord and the Savior of their lives. And anyone, Lord God, who, is, who has turned back, who has backslidden, I pray, Father, that you also help them to come back, to rededicate their lives, because you want to do amazing things through our lives, things that we would even be shocked if you were to tell us about. We thank you, Lord God, that it is never too late, that you can still use us regardless of where we find ourselves in. There is no person who's written off, Father God, in your books. We thank you for all, everything that you have done for us and everything that you still want to do in our lives and through our lives. We give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. 
Amen. Amen. I hope that you are encouraged through this message. Uh, continue to do business with God. Take care, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you, Pastor Monli. That was a life-changing teaching. And I hope that everyone will keep this truth in their hearts all week. May you have a blessed week, and may you prosper and do great in all that your hands find to do. God bless and thank you.